Welcome to the Wizard of Whiskey podcast, the podcast dedicated to the hedonist lifestyle. I'm joined on a lovely Saturday afternoon by Colin Klingeman uh, of St. Arnold Brewery. How are you today, Colin? I am doing great. How about you, Justin? You know, I've got no complaints. It's <laughs> just past noon here on a Saturday, like I said. Uh, really excited to taste through your portfolio. Some interesting packages. I, I love uh, when I get uh, when I get beers shipped to me. Um, because I never know what it's going to be, and there's just some really cool, uh, uh, really cool cans and some some bottles that I'm I'm kind of looking forward to um, to tasting with you. But um, why don't you give us a little history about uh, about St. Arnold? Sure, yeah. So uh, St. Arnold is Texas's oldest and largest craft brewery. We've been around since 1994. Um, I've been with the company for about three years now. Um, I'm one of the lead brewers. My background is biochemistry and genetics. I uh, was studying yeast biochemistry in school, worked in the lab, realized that I didn't want to spend my re- the rest of my life sitting at a bench. So uh studied abroad for a couple years, uh, or a couple months in London, and um, fell in love with cask beer out there. And when I came back to school, I decided that I had to get involved in beer. So I started scrubbing floors for free at a local craft brewery until eventually I kind of got to work with some other uh, breweries and go to events with other breweries and meet other brewers and kind of worked my way into the industry through that. So, yeah, like I said, I've been with St. Arnold for about three years now, and um, we, uh, as brewers, we get to, um, we do everything from sourcing raw materials to brew house operations, so that's the actual cooking process of the beer, and then all the way through cellaring to um, uh, barrel storage, so selecting barrels, picking what barrels we think will go with different beers, and we have a couple beers that we'll be tasting today that are barrel aged, so you'll kind of get to taste some interesting aspects of those, and then we go all the way down to filtering and centrifuge, and I can talk a little bit about that, too, because we have some beers that are filtered and uh, some beers that are centrifuged only with us today as well. So as a brewer, that's kind of the scope of our involvement. But we also get to do um, do a, uh, a little bit of R&D, and we get to come up with our own beer concepts, and then we test them on a small scale. We run them through our sales team, through our marketing team, and, of course, our owner, and founder who is uh, who's been with us for 22 years, um, and he ultimately decides whether a beer is good or not, and then we figure out where it fits in the program. So we have uh, one of our Icon Series beers with us today, which is uh, my original recipe. So nice, very cool. Um, so obviously, we're going to geek out on beer here today, yeah. um, <laughs> and I'm and I'm excited to do that because this is. Believe it or not, the very first brewery I've been able to get on the podcast. Oh, um, excellent! For some reason, I've I've had distillers from all over the world. I've had winemakers from all over the world. Um, you know, love to come on the show. Um, and I'm excited that this is going to be the first uh, the first brewery, and hopefully um, not the last. Excellent. So well, we're we're um, glad to be the first. <laughs> yeah. Let me uh, let me jump into the five o'clock pills. Sure. Let's um, do it. I like I like pilsners, especially. Um, especially on a hot hot summer day, or or even, um, you know, I'm kind of a, a food geek. Um, sure. 
and uh, you know, it's my culinary training. Um, I, I love Pilsner at, at Thanksgiving time and the holidays because you've got a lot of heavy food, a lot of creamy food. Um, pills, they tend to kind of cut through it a little bit. Um, so while I, um, while I taste this one and, and, and smell this one, um, tell me a little bit about the, the pills. What's your process behind this? Yeah, so 5 o'clock, this was a, uh, this is really a true bohemian lager, um, bohemian in the sense that it's a, a Czech pilsner. And the background for this beer is that our owner, Brock Wagner, he, uh, his all-time favorite beer is unfiltered Pilsner or Quell. And this is the original Czech Pilsner brewery um, in, uh, in Pilsen, Czechoslovakia. And uh, every year we actually go out and we do hop selection for our German hops, so our Hersbrücker, Hallitauer Hersbrücker hops. Uh, we source those from Bavaria. And then we travel to, uh, to the Czech Republic to also purchase Saz hops. Now, this beer is 100% Saz hops, and um, the difference, what kind of sets it apart from German Pilsners is that it's a dry hop, but for us, we kind of took it to uh, an extreme with dry hopping because we really love the flavor of Saz, and Saz just has this very um, unique kind of earthy flavor. I won't go into it too much because I want to let you try it without any bias, but Saz is uh, one of the only... It, or is the only unhybridized hop, so it's the it's basically the the granddaddy of all hops, if you will. So uh, anyway, the background is this was our owner's favorite beer. We brewed it for our Icon Red, I believe it was about two years ago, and it I, I believe we released it around December time, which you can imagine Pilsners during the winter, uh, not exactly not always the the best combination, but we still People love the beer so much that we said we need to bring it back. And we decided, because we had just got purchased a new canning line, that we would do can only. And the great thing about cans is that they really preserve hop quality by preventing light from getting into the beer. So if you've ever had a beer that that uh, comes in a green bottle, and Pilsner Quell is actually one of those. They, they recently changed to brown glass, but... If you get those beers that come in green glass bottles and you open it up and it smells like skunk or rubber tire, that's because the beer is getting light struck and light is entering the bottle, reacting with the hot material that's in the beer and then causing it to change into those uh, unfavorable aromatic compounds. So we decided to go can only with this beer, can and draft only, so it's still in kegs, but uh, we wanted to make this beer as fresh and as hoppy as possible. So, wow. Um, well, um, as far as pills goes, I think you nailed um, the style. Um, the size um, hops, to my understanding, it always kind of gives this incredibly floral quality. Um, yes. Something akin to um, to jasmine or or, or or rose petal. So something soft um, yeah. and floral, and and really kind of laid back. Um, it's not the super uh, IBU-laden hop that, that most people expect um, out of hops. Hops hops do have a, a very soft quality when when you're not, um, when you're not turning them into an IPA or, or something else. Um, sure. So, yeah, I think you guys nailed nailed the pills quality. Um, it's very clean, very crisp. Um, I think I got a little tiny bit of pear um, and yeah. some other you know, baked, baked fruits. 
Um, so yeah, well well done. Really um, really clean, really crisp. Excellent. Thank you. We uh, we also take this beer through what's called decoction mashing. Um, this is kind of an old-world German-style technique. The Germans still utilize this, but it was mainly used for unmodified malts. So the malts that we work with today, they've they've been selectively breeded, um, and they're they're carefully grown to produce starches in a way that we can utilize them perfectly on any sort of brew house. Whereas back in uh, the earlier days with German brewing, these malts were not as modified, so they um, they had to kind of implement these different methods to get the sugars out of them. And so what the coction mashing is, is we take part of our mash, which is the mixture of grain and, uh, and liquid and water, essentially, and we transfer it to extract the liquid, but we leave a little bit of mash in our kettle um, and then boil it. And this produces mel- melanoidin compounds. And this is kind of this unique sort of sweetness that you can only really get with um, with this type of mashing. So it's a, it's a process that we had never done before, uh, the Bohemian Pills, and we, we, uh, we find it to kind of give this really interesting sweet flavor to the beer that makes it um, more authentic in that sense. Interesting. Interesting. Um, all right. So the the Icon Texas Honey Saison. Tell yes. me a little bit about this one. Yeah. So this was my recipe. I think I started brewing iterations of this about a year ago. Um, and really what I wanted to do was I wanted to take the idea of a Saison. So Saisons are um, kind of uh, Belgium, northern France beers that originated on farms. So basically what farmers would do is in order to um, to refresh their farm hands, they would brew beers at different times in the year. It kind of depended on the styles that they would make. And they would generally age it over the wintertime and then uh, serve it to their farm hands in the summer. And uh, the cool thing about Saisons is that because these farmers weren't really um, large industrial breweries, they were taking whatever ingredients they had on hand. Uh, A lot of them were growing barley and wheat. And uh, anything else that might have been growing on their farm, and they threw it into these beers and created this kind of uh, uniqueness for every farm. So every farmhouse brewery had their own sort of style of beer that had unique ingredients in it. And so we wanted to go after that same heart and take an ingredient that was exclusive to Texas and put it in a classic French Saison. And so we partnered with a honey supplier here in Texas that um, produces 100% pure Texas wildflower honey and we added that to our beer. So about each batch of beer, which is approximately 4,200 gallons or 136 barrels, beer barrels, uh, we added 800 pounds of uh, pure Texas wildflower honey to each batch. So it's kind of on this teetering edge between a mead, so a mead is a honey wine, and a French Saison. And it kind of makes it 
the beer and the mead sort of marry together to make this cool, uh, interesting flavor. So that's the basis for the beer. Um, after several different, we, we kind of experimented with different honey styles, different honey types, and we we landed on Texas wildflower honey. So that's kind of the basis for this beer. Very cool. Um, I like that it's incredibly balanced. Um, I, to be honest, I was expecting. Um, I'm not sure what I was expecting, but um, <clears throat> I was expecting something a little different. It's very clean. It's very well balanced. I don't get overkill on the honey. I don't get overkill on everything else. Yeah. Um, it's it's just very clean, very well balanced, very laid back. Um, I kind of want just to to sit outside and eat shellfish, you know, just, just tear up, grab, and, you know, have a six pack of this and, you know, just, just kind of hang out. Um, yeah. It's, it's brilliantly done. Thank you. Uh, so I, I'm guessing when you see a honey saison, you kind of expect uh, sweetness. Maybe that was what you were expecting or was it something different? I'm not sure. Well, I, I I've tasted I've tasted some some homemade honey saisons before, okay. uh, where people are just taking their their they're overbittering they're overhopping their saison and then uh, turning in and throwing honey in there, so it's just kind of this IPA style saison with honey, and so you get bitter on the beginning and then honey on the finish, and it's just kind of yeah, uh, abrasive on the palate, and it's not it's not good. Whereas this one is just incredibly soft. Um, it's just really, like I said, really clean. Um, and then I'll I'll retaste it, but yeah, just a, I mean a tiny little hint of yeah, no, it's it's really nice. Um, Excellent. Tiny hint of diacetol. Um, a little little buttered popcorn there on the on the finish. Oh, okay. Um, which I which I like. So, um. yeah, um, we we actually did diacetyl rest for this beer. Um, we do it for every new beer that we we try. So, um, it it may not necessarily be diacetyl. It might be the malt. So, um, Durst malt, which is this um, kind of this malting uh, maltster, if you will, and in Germany that we get all of our malt from, they kind of give that, uh, sort of, um, that kind of buttery flavor. It's not, not quite that like sweaty sock diastole that you get when, sure. uh, a sure. beer hasn't like, especially with, with, um, Pilsners and, uh, lager beers where they haven't had enough time to clean up the diastole in the beer. Uh, our malt mm-hmm. just kind of presents that sort of like rich kind of, Maybe butterscotch is is closer to what um, what it might be, but um, yeah, we we made sure that there was no no diastole in this beer. So uh, and we do that for every new beer that we we try, even if it's not a lager, because uh, you never know you never know if uh, a yeast that you haven't used before will produce those diastole um, compounds. So I I think that might be the the malt that you're you're tasting there. And I sometimes get that as well. And, and, no, and, that's um. <clears throat> yeah, go ahead. go ahead. Well, I was just gonna say, um, so, so it's funny you bring that up. Um, <clears throat> when when I talk with winemakers, and and 
so so wine wine making and brewing is is to me it's incredibly similar but it's a, you know a world apart obviously sure um yeah. when i when i mention something like diacetol um i mean that i get a little bit of that you know just kind of like um that buttered um popcorn you know slightly cooked um corn uh type of flavor okay um and and i i enjoy that i enjoy that 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 particular um that particular uh nose and i enjoy that particular mouthfeel um and unfortunately things that are bad for winemakers such as brett or or yes. for other you know components are are rock star things for for brewers and things that are that are bad for brewers such as diacetol um are 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 great for for winemakers so yes. so so yeah i i i i appreciate uh I, I guess I can appreciate the uh, the, the complexity of, of when I say something like diacetol to a brewer. Um, yeah, yeah, I simply we, meant that it uh, was... we kind of shun that a little bit. Uh, yeah. So yeah. Um, yeah. But I, I understand what what you're describing, and maybe something more along the lines of like the butteriness of Chardonnay, um, or maybe something kind of kind of like that might be coming through. I'm not sure. Um, no, it's um, it's it's very well done, and the and the beer is very well you. received. So, um, excellent. I'm glad you liked it. So yeah, um, and don't worry, I would I would uh, tell you if I didn't. Um, <laughs> okay. <laughs> so uh, so the the Santo. Yes. All right. I and I'm tasting these with you, by the way. So, uh, I'm gonna go ahead and, and feel, pour that. Feel, feel free to call out bullshit anytime you anytime you hear me say something, uh, that's oh. uh, that's inaccurate or. Oh yeah, absolutely. I'm, you know, I want to set the record straight if anything's anything's wrong. So, but um, yeah, it, it's kind of hard to tell someone no what you're tasting is not right. You know, yeah. everyone's yeah. everyone's palate is completely different, which is why people like different beers and people hate different beers. Um, some people just hate IPAs because the bitterness is just too much for them and. Oftentimes they end up enjoying that bitterness maybe after they've tried some different styles, but uh, some people never really come around to IPAs or sour beers. So to kind of tell you that you're, what you're tasting is wrong is I, I don't believe in that at all. I mean, and I, even some of the least, less experienced tasters that I've, I've met and have told me what they're tasting in a beer uh, I actually really appreciate that feedback because oftentimes we taste so many beers that our palates are kind of conditioned for tasting the same things. And when someone who's never tasted something like that before tells you, oh, this has this interesting pear note or this kind of tastes like raisins, and then you go back and you're like, okay, I could actually see that. So anytime uh, someone it tells me that they taste something different in a beer that I never taste, I always like to go back and kind of say okay yeah i get that i i can see that so i appreciate feedback from all diverse types of palettes so fantastic excellent so um so kolsch santo uh black kolsch style beer yeah it's not really a thing uh it was kind of (laughs) something we we came up with we um we have a beer called Lawnmower, Fancy Lawnmower, and uh, that beer is more or less a true Kolsch. We do filter that beer, so it's, it's not uh, a 
true to style calls per se, but it's it's very close. Um, Santo is along the same vein, but we use the same yeast. We use our the same first worker hops that we select in Bavaria every year, but we also added um, we kind of changed the malt bill a little bit and added Munich malt and roasted barley. And what that does is it kind of changes the beer to a point where it tastes so different that you wouldn't even say that they had the same ingredients. So lawnmower, which is very uh, light-bodied um, and also just kind of clean as far as the beer goes, Santo, on the other hand, has this deep, roasty kind of chocolate, maybe a little bit of nutty uh flavors going on there and it's just kind of interesting to see beers that have the same hops and the same um, same yeast how different they can actually be just because of a, a small change in the malt yeah I um wow it's it's interesting um yeah tiny tiny little changes uh in a recipe can can vastly alter the the final product. Um, yeah. And and this one is it's it's interesting. Um I do get a little bit of that roasted uh roasted malt quality. I definitely get um tiny bit of stone fruit. Um you okay. know something like ap- apricot um yeah. Maybe maybe a tiny bit of um what is that? Is that? Yeah, um, kind of honey dipped apricot kind of kind of thing. Um, okay. Where it's you know that that fresh, um, fresh honey apricot. Yeah, um, I could definitely oh, yeah. see that. Yeah, that's so interesting. That, that's probably mostly from um, from the Kolsch yeast. Um, it it's so we ferment Kolsch at around sixty degrees Fahrenheit which is relatively low. It's not quite lager low. So we ferment our lagers. Those are about 48 to 52 degrees Fahrenheit um, with Kolsch a little bit warmer. So it kind of brings out a little more of these interesting kind of fruity flavors and um, kind of get some of that stone fruit and apricot sometimes from, from the Kolsch cheese. So um, yeah, that's, uh, that's probably where, where those flavors are coming from. And then you kind of have this interesting kind of coffee roastiness to sort of balance out those fruits. Yeah, definitely. I get, um, I get a little bacon, bacon fat in there too. That kind of, yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. That, yeah. I definitely get that as well. Um, yeah. so, so yeah, that's, that's interesting. Um, yeah. Santa is a great beer. Um, it, it kind of, it used to be a brewer favorite, um, post shift beer. So after, after we finish a shift, because all the brewers, we work about 24-5. So um, first shift is 4 a.m. to noon. Second shift is noon to 8. And then the graveyard shift is 8 p.m. to 12. So after each shift, we get to have two beers. And when I first started working at St. Arnold, Santo was the lowest ABV beer that we made. So it's 4.9%. Um, and when you're working in a brew house that has a um, very small amount of AC or in the cellar that has no AC, then uh, all you really want to drink at the end of the day is 
a pretty light beer. So that was the lightest in alcohol that we had. So Santo was the go-to um, for the longest time for our brewers. And now we have an even lighter beer, our Berliner Weiss, which is 3.5%, which uh, is kind of a go-to shift beer as well. So, um, yeah, Santo used to be kind of the, the hometown favorite for, for a while. And it still is. It's, it's a fantastic beer, but now there's something even lighter that we can drink. So. Nice. Very, very cool. Um, so you mentioned you mentioned that some people don't like IPA. Um, and I, I was a, a buyer in Chicago for, for many years, um, <clears throat> working, you know, the retail side. And, uh, this was during, and I think it's still going on. And, um, I think what is kind of, I don't know if it's hurt IPAs or if it's helped IPAs and uh, both could be true. Um, is the idea that you have to out hop everyone else. Um, so you've got these, some IPAs that are, um, that are low IBUs that are, you know, they're, they're just kind of laid back on the, on the hop. And, you know, the, the point is to still make it a drinkable beer. And there's ones that are out there that they, they tell you, Hey, you can only have one sip and, you know, in, in every 24 hours or it'll kill you. Um, yeah. So, <laughs> I so, don't really so let's care talk for those. Today. Um, yeah, go ahead. So I, I was done. Go, go ahead. Oh, you. yeah. So I, with IPAs, it's all about balance. Um, you, you want to have something that's interesting, though, right? So um, that flavor needs to be – it needs to be intense, but it needs to be balanced. So sometimes you get these IPAs that just have so much bitterness in them, and then the finishing hops are not there and there's not enough malt sweetness to kind of back up the bitterness or um, or even acidity for that matter. Uh, that's one thing that a lot of people don't, or a lot of breweries don't really consider is that acidity is just as equally as important of a component on your palate as bitterness and sweetness. So trying to balance acidity in an IPA is really important too, and um, we've kind of been going through some uh, research projects lately with our IPAs measuring pH and trying to um, basically get our pHs even lower for our hoppier beers because we found that they taste a lot better with lower pHs. So um, that's something that a lot of people don't consider. But, yeah, with this whole out-competing, I have this ridiculous West Coast hop and there are a billion pounds of this per batch, whatever, uh, eventually you're just drinking hoppy water and I don't think people really want to drink that. Maybe it's interesting to try a one-ounce pour, but, I mean, I can't imagine a brewery really uh, being successful off of that. I don't know. Um, when we make beers, we want them to be balanced. So um, with IPAs, we want that bitterness. Um, but we also need sweetness to back it up. So. Yeah. Um, yeah. You hit the the nail on the head there with um, with the IPA issue. Um, it, it's it's tough when you taste a lot of beer um, to to go through some of these IPAs. Um, it's it's just tough. Um, you know, your palate just can't take it. Um, so I'm tasting your um, your art car, which has the coolest uh, has the coolest can, by the way. Um, yeah. <laughs> so, um, so this was cool, uh, 
the label art was done by a local graffiti artist named Gonzo247. He, uh, he's actually listed on our brewery website as, uh, as an employee. So, um, he's, he's, we've commissioned tons of artwork for him. He actually paints cars for us. Um, so several of our sales employees' cars are, um, basically graffitied up with his, his artwork. And, um, we have an event here in Houston every year called the Art Car Parade. And, um, I think since the very first year we were opened, we had some sort of art car in the parade. That might, maybe not the first year, but we've been heavily involved in this event. And it's really cool uh, just because all these people come out to watch all these ridiculously made cars that are just, some of them are kind of, you get these low riders and then you get all these huge paper mache, like there's one with like a pig's head on it. Uh, it gets pretty ridiculous, so every year we participate in that, and we actually have a recycling program at the brewery, um, which is kind of interesting, where you can return your six-pack carriers, and uh, if you get enough, then you can get free stuff like T-shirts and pint glasses. And the ultimate uh, prize, which is our tie-dyed Bentley, is 250000 six-pack carriers or something like that. Um, I don't think anyone's gotten anywhere close to that, but um, it's technically an offer that we put up on, on our website. So uh, if someone brings in 250,000 of our six-pack carriers, then uh, I guess we lose the Bentley. I don't know. But that was the whole, the whole naming uh, of this beer was to kind of show our appreciation for that event and our, our involvement in that, um, in that as well. So, have you tasted it yet? I I have. Um, okay. I was just trying to think of how many how much beer I would have to drink to win a Bentley. Um. So so all of you listeners out there, uh, <laughs> you could win a Bentley. Um. You so our car IPA. Um, yes. It's interesting. Um. IPAs because I've been like I said I've been turned off by the out hopping of you know um of everyone. Um I've been turned off by them lately. Um for, okay. for several years now. Um so I prefer the the pills, the colches, the uh the saisons, the the you know softer beers with the with at least minimal hops. Um Absolutely. but with this one, I get um I get floral, I get jasmine, I get orange blossom. Um I get soft hop. Um, and it's not incredibly bitter. It's not. It, it's not trying to kill me on the IBUs. It's not trying to be one of those. Oh, hey, we have ninety-four thousand IBUs. Well, ours has four hundred thousand IBUs. You know. Yeah. Um, no, none of that. <laughs> it's it's very well balanced, um, and so so well done on the on the IPA. Excellent. Thank you. Um, yeah, this this beer we've kind of been experimenting with uh, a new dry hop technique. We had a. Um, our in-house maintenance guy, uh, our in-house maintenance manager, he uh, does all the engineering for our brewery, and uh, he has built this new uh, hop dosing machine that basically allows us to take our beer and recirculate it through a vessel so that we can kind of extract more hop flavor than what we were previously doing was adding hops just to the top of our fermenters. So 
when you do that, you're just kind of adding the hops and they sit on the beer and then you filter it or centrifuge it. And uh, to, to that point, I guess, this beer, we only centrifuge it, so we don't filter it. And the reason is because when you filter beer, um, filter kind of takes away some of the some of the hop character from the beer. So you lose a little bit of aromatic when you filter. Um, whereas with the centrifuge, you're basically spinning out the solids and then the beer kind of uh, some of the smaller particles still make it through to the finished beer. So you might notice that this beer uh, is probably a little bit hazy, um, not not quite as crystal clear as maybe the um, 5 o'clock pills or the um, Saison uh, or even maybe Santo for that matter. Santo is actually the only beer here that is filtered. Um, but, uh, yeah, so we centrifuge only this beer, and that's to kind of maintain some of that hop character there. But we've been experimenting with these new dry hopping techniques, and uh, we've kind of gotten to a point where we really like where it's at, and we can extract so much hop flavor um, from from our dry hops, and that's kind of what gives it that really... Um, kind of peachy apricot but also some tropical fruit flavors like sometimes you get pineapple and mango uh, lots of pine and resin too that's all just coming from that dry hop so yeah it it's like i said it's an ipa that we tried we're striving for balance on this and we want to bring out as much hot flavor as possible but also back it up with with the maltiness of the beer too very cool um <clears throat> So we're moving on to the um, to the Bishop's Barrel, um, yes, and this yes. is kind of an interesting series. Um, I have with me the 12 and the 14. Yes. Um, I don't know if those are the vintages or if those are um, just the titles. Yeah. So, so they they just kind of go in order. So it's uh, we did Bishop's Barrel one. That was maybe 2012. It was before I I started working there. So I think we were we were on four in 2013. And we've released approximately four per year. So 12 was uh, released early this year, and then 14 was the one we released uh, maybe three weeks ago or four weeks ago. It was very, very recent. So um, it doesn't necessarily play into a, a vintage per se. They're, they're completely different beer styles. Every time we do it, we kind of try to do something different. And these are all gotcha. barrel-aged beers to to. Um, give you a premise. So um, BB12 is aged in wine barrels, whereas BB14 is aged in bourbon barrels. Gotcha. Um, so, so the 12, it's aged with cherries and aged in white wine barrels. That's correct. Um, so it was, we had about... 60 Sauvignon Blanc barrels, um, and what we did was we took Christmas Ale, which is our seasonal Christmas beer. We took that base and filled these Sauvignon Blanc barrels. Then uh, we added cherries, so 42 pounds per wood barrel. So those wood barrels, I believe, were 62 gallons. Um, we filled those with 42 pounds of cherries, and then added different strains of Britannomyces. Um, so different barrels got different types of Brett. And we did that so that 
um, eventually we could kind of blend different types of Brett, uh, Brett aged beers together to produce this Bishop's Barrel 12. Interesting. Uh, so I, I, I do enjoy sour beers. Um, And this one is very interesting. Um, I definitely get the fruit. I definitely get the cherry. Um, I definitely get some herbaceousness coming out of it. Um, it's really interesting. It kind of it kind of screams out for. I don't know. I don't know it kind of screams out for something spicy. I can see um, that. Yeah. Yeah. Um I definitely I definitely want some really spicy Thai, thai spicy uh curry or something. Okay. Um, yeah. Yeah, I think Thai food would be a an excellent pairing with this beer. Um I did a an event a couple weeks ago with a local grocery store here in Texas called uh Central Market and um we ended up pairing this beer with um I think it was prosciutto and um, might have been gouda cheese. So, like, this beer has this kind of bright acidity to it and this sort of fruitiness, and I wanted to cut it with something salty and something kind of, well, a little bit of umami, too, from the cheese, but just kind of cutting that acidity with something uh, a little different, too. And that worked out really well. I think this beer goes great with everything, honestly. This is um, by far um, one of my favorite Vicious Barrel releases uh, just because of the complexity of the beer. And uh, it's also really drinkable. I mean, it's bone dry. So when we first uh, racked out of the barrels, um, the the beer was actually sub one density. So um, water is, 1.000 grams per mil. Uh, This was, I think, around uh, 0.995 grams per mil. So um, it was actually less dense than water. And that's because the Britannomyces just chews up all the sugars that are left over in the beer. So our Christmas ale finishes a little bit higher than than the density of water. Um, So they're taking all of these sugars that the yeast couldn't finish and they convert them into alcohol and carbon dioxide. And sometimes, especially with the addition of, um, as they're producing alcohol, the density becomes even less than water. So it's, uh, in some ways more refreshing, I think, than water. Um, maybe that's not true, but, uh, it, it's got this lightness on the palate that you don't really get with other beers. So as you drink it, it just kind of washes over and then you're ready for that next sip. And that's what I love about this beer. But it's also got this great kind of funky complexity to it that, um, you know, it's kind of the best of both worlds, this this light sort of bodiedness, but also really intense, interesting funk flavor. Nice. Uh, You heard that, uh, America and the rest of the world, (laughs) beer is more refreshing than water. That's right. (laughs) We're having T-shirts made up. So, we should do it. Um, <laughs> yeah, definitely. So let's uh, let's move on to this 14. It is a Russian Imperial 
um, yeah. which is one yeah. of my favorites. I tend to go for uh, the stouty, uh, even in, in the in the summertime, which I know is a huge faux pas, but uh, I tend to love the um, the big dark black beers oh, that yeah. are just oh, yeah. uh, like syrup. Um, and I love them with things that you normally wouldn't. I mean, this right here, just smelling it, I want to sit down and I want to have a chunk of blue cheese. Um, okay. okay. And just just kind of hang out and um, um, and and then drink this beer. So. Yeah, this is definitely. I'm gonna, I'm gonna a it while you tell me about it. What's that? I'm gonna smell it and taste it while you tell me about it. Okay, definitely. So we have um, Bishop's Barrel 14. This is our Russian Imperial Stout base. So we have a. Um, we also have another series called Divine Reserve. And this recipe kind of started out in Divine Reserve 5. We ended up rebrewing it again, but um, we kind of changed the bitterness a little bit and re-released it as DR15 alongside Bishop's Barrel 8, I believe. So DR15, BB8, uh, one was the base beer, the base Russian Imperial Stout, and the other one was the... Uh, bourbon barrel aged imperial stout so people love this beer so much that we said we have to do it again but this time when we were tasting through the barrels we were thinking okay what if we put coffee in this beer and we had just released a uh, another of our icon series beers uh, a coffee porter and um, people really love this beer so we said why don't we try to do the same thing, but with this barrel-aged version? And there's a local roaster here in town in Houston called Java Pura, and we love working with these guys, uh, mainly because we trade beer for coffee, which kind of keeps both of us going um, on on our respective ends. And uh, they're, I mean, find their coffee is incredible. They're a craft roaster, so they're, they they are really honing in on quality and flavor. Um, so we worked with them and we took some of their espresso blend coffee and essentially dry spiced it into this beer. And um, it only sat on the beer for, I think it was, it was definitely less than a day um, before we um, took it from the tank and then packaged it. So the coffee was kind of a quick, uh, cold brew, if you will, with the beer, and then um, and then we packaged it. So you get these bourbon barrel characteristics in the beer, but also the, the coffee's kind of coming through and helping bring out the roastiness, but also um, kind of balancing some of the sweetness in the beer, too. So uh, these are Woodford Reserve bourbon barrels, and we love Woodford Reserve. Um, we, we tend to buy those if we're doing bourbon barrels um, we've done different types of, of bourbon, though. So we've purchased, um, it was, uh, I think we did Old Forester, and we might have had a couple Maker's Mark barrels as well. So we've kind of experimented with different bourbons, and we, we really, really love Woodford Reserve. So these were aged in Woodford Reserve bourbon barrels, and Woodford kind of has this really... Um, really interesting sweetness. So adding the coffee to this beer kind of balanced a little bit of the, of the bitterness, the sweetness in the beer. Um, so that was, that's kind of what we got from the coffee. Um, there's also some 
really interesting kind of fruity notes in there. So, uh, so what do you think? I think you should have sent more. <laughs> it is. This is fantastic. Um, the one thing that I that really irritates me about stouts and and, and um, the, uh, the especially the Russian Imperials and, and a lot of the craft ones is they'll overhop them. Um, and oh yeah. So they they're trying to make it something that it's not. It's okay to make it chocolate in a bottle. It's okay to make it you know really soft and really easy drinking. And this hits that uh, perfectly. It is. It is spectacular. There is Excellent. a ton of chocolate. There is a ton of um, of vanilla. There is this this, and the coffee is not overpowering, which I also appreciate because I, it's not this. I'm not drinking Cafe Du Monde, which I will be next week when I'm in New Orleans. But um, Ooh, excellent. <laughs> it's it's mocha. It's it's just brilliant. This is just brilliant. Excellent. I'm glad you like it. Yeah, so this like uh, this beer we aged for about a year in uh, in bourbon barrels. So uh, we've kind of found that about a year is uh, a, a good amount of time for us. We always taste through it to make sure that it's the beer is exactly where we want it. But um, for our bourbon barrels, it's it's almost consistently a year every time. So uh, there's it's had a lot of time to sit on the wood and kind of bring out some of that wood flavor as well. In contrast, the, the BB-12, the, the one that we tried before, that beer actually aged on the Sauvignon Blanc barrels for about 22 months. Um, so, But that, that was more because of the way that the yeast was still kind of working on the beer. So that was a, a different situation, but um, we, we really enjoy getting some of that wood and... Uh, spirit flavor from the beer as much as possible. Well, um, well very well done on that one. Um, and like I said, um, I wouldn't be uh, adverse to receiving uh, more of this one. Um, that being said, where are these available? So, um, the first four that we talked about, those are available in um, basically any grocery store in Texas, Louisiana, and Florida. Um, and the 5 o'clock, Santo, and Art Car, those are year-round. You can find them all the time. We always have a different icon, but currently it is the Texas Sunny Saison. Our bourbon barrel, so our Bishop's Barrel aged beers, those, um, we make such a small amount of it as, as far as our kind of size of the brewery that we can only really give it to retail accounts. Um, so bars and restaurants on-premise for the most part. Um, so it's it's actually pretty difficult if you can get these bottles in the wild and take them home. Uh, they the, We give them to basically our best accounts in, in Houston and Dallas and uh, actually through Louisiana and Florida as well. They, they get all of these bottles. So we kind of – it's hard to – break up where they are, but uh, if you follow us on Twitter, uh, that's St. Arnold, um, or at St. Arnold, that's kind of a good hub to sort of figure out where these beers are coming out, the, the Bishop's Barrel, that is, because they, they're kind of random events, bars will hold on to them, so sometimes they'll, they'll do entire verticals. I've seen 
uh, 1 through 12 before. That was ridiculous. I don't know if people actually drank all of those at one time or how they divvied that up, but um, they'll, our, our accounts will, will hold them so that they can do these crazy, insane verticals, and um, people love it. So you just kind of have to watch out on our social media for that kind of stuff. Um, but for the other stuff, you can pretty much find that in most grocery stores across Texas, Louisiana, and Florida. Fantastic. Colin of St. Arnold Brewery, thank you very much for your time. This was a this was a one of a kind tasting. I'm really I'm really happy that these were the beers that you selected. Um, very well done, and uh, I look forward to uh, to having you on. Maybe we'll get you back on uh, um, either late this year or early next year. We can have uh, talk about uh, wintertime uh, wintertime beers. Yeah, absolutely. We uh, we have plenty more beers to drink, so it was great great uh, getting to taste with you and um, it, was, it was awesome. Thanks for having me. Fantastic. Well, you guys heard that. Um, you can follow them on Twitter um, and find out where these beers are going to be. I highly recommend the 14 uh, Bishop's Barrel, um, but that's just because I am um, – well, I, 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 I try and stay objective, but I, I love that. <laughs> um, but definitely check out the, uh, the 5 O'Clock Pills, the Honey Saison, the Santo, the Art Car IPA, and the, um, the Cherry uh, 12 um, – if you if you can, so um, as always you can follow me um, on Twitter at Wizard of Whiskey. I'm on the Facebook and I'm pretty sure I have an Instagram floating around there somewhere. So <laughs> um, so find me on that and we will uh, we will see you soon. <laughs>